Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's going on? Not much. Just celebrating our, what, eighth holiday in isolation. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes. So great. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. You know, we're really. Yeah. We're really, uh, we're getting into it. Second wave, potentially third waves uh, happening is what the news seems to be saying. Is that, uh. It looks likely that third waves will be happening around the world. So, yeah, amazing for all of us who thought we were going back to normal in 2021. You played yourself. <laughs> yeah, Iran is really struggling with their very clear third wave. I've seen that. And yeah. um, and of course, yeah, North America is in the grips of their second unless you're in the North or Atlantic Canada, you folks uh, cling to that uh, to that bubble <laughs> that you have because <laughs> it's getting it's getting bad. Yeah. And honestly, listeners, please. Yes, it's getting bad. Please, listeners, stay safe as much as you can. And also call out the government for not doing their part, because that's a lot of what's happening. Yeah. And and also call out your employers if you can find a way, if there's something that's happening that you feel not safe about, because public health is not talking about what's happening in the workplace. And so it really is up to individuals. And if you don't know how to do that, or if you want to talk to me about something that you might be experiencing on the workplace, definitely be in touch because I might be able to give you some ideas. I don't know. But um, but we need we need workers standing up and saying this is what it's like. And, and this is how, how scared I am, really to go to work every day because journalists are just not digging around into that story, unfortunately. No. And so today, Nora and I are going to do something that we haven't done for a while, but we've done we've done on the podcast before, I think, which is that we're just going to have a conversation. We don't necessarily have a theme planned out. We're just going to have a conversation about the things that are on our mind. But before we do that, I am sure we have some people to thank. We do have some people to thank. So. Uh, I feel like, oh my goodness, all all of your support from during the pandemic has been really important because I'm not sure we've mentioned this yet, but Sandy and I have uh, finally started to pay ourselves for the episodes. Um, not too much. Not too <laughs> which much. Which means we have money left over for when this whole thing ends. And so we look forward to seeing you and meeting you and talking to you in person. But uh, in the meantime, we want to thank so, so, so much everyone who talked about the podcast with their friends, their families. Thank you so much to the couple of people who recommended that Gerald Butts listen to us. That guy could learn something. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I saw that. I saw that. Gerald Butts. Um, I hope you've tuned in. Uh, and uh, I hope that you've tuned into all, all of the many, many episodes where we've talked about um, how bullshit your scheming party is and why they should stop being scheming. <laughs> Please take a listen. Thanks for joining us or not. Yeah. If you don't know who he is, definitely Google him. You can Google. You can Google that. But uh, for the folks that, that sent us money this past week uh, for the first time or changed their their, their uh, donations to us on Patreon, thank you so, so much this week, especially to Sarah, Douglas, Julia, Chloe, Jessica, Amanda and Sandra. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, um, and you know, Sandy, you and I had a pretty big failure this week. We, we got a, a rejection letter this week. And I think that's pretty funny to let our listeners know. 
Uh, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Okay. So uh, <laughs> this is actually really funny. So uh, Netflix was like, hey, we're seeking pitches on this random pitch day for uh, Canadian uh, fucking um, limited series. Uh, and we were like, on, I think, what, a day before it was due, we were like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah we will, we'll make something. Yeah. And then I probably disappeared for the entire day because I have like 7 million things on the go at one time. And Nora was like, got it. It's cool, Sandy. We're going to make a pitch. <laughs> and um, pitches were made. I thought it was excellent. Uh, Netflix uh, didn't bite. So, you know, it's fine. They could have they could have been the ones uh, to to put us on. But that's fine. <laughs> They're going to regret it someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know that their rejection was was a form letter, but it really uh, I felt like they were trolling us by saying, you know, thank you. You have a lot of talent. I didn't think that was trolling. Um, yeah, it was clear that you put a lot of work into your proposal. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. Was it? <laughs> so, you know, if you subscribe to Netflix and you're wondering, where is my Sandy and Nora content on Netflix? The answer is, it's not there. It's it's just, we're just not Netflix quality. Maybe if we did voiceover videos of Justin Trudeau speaking on TikTok, we'd get a, a Netflix show. Oh, you mean B. Sarah Cooper? But Canadian? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> One quick announcement before we start. Um, so October 26th is a very important day. 26th? For Sandy Nora. Not the 25th? Yeah. Aw, fuck that. No, because it's a Sunday. <laughs> That's annoying. <laughs> we have to record. All right, fine. I know. I know. Uh, Monday, October 26th, I'm going to be launching my book. Um, I'm going to do uh, like a five and a half hour... Um, hang out on some sort of social media platform. So watch me on Twitter if you want to hang out and jump into my open house and we can talk online. That is October 26th uh, in your living room uh, coming right at you to launch uh, Take Back the Fight, uh, organizing feminism in the digital age. And so you're all very much welcome. And of course, it's like a big day for Sandy, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> very, very excited for that. And Nora originally was going to launch it, the book on October 25th, which is my birthday. That's my birthday. Oh, see, and I, I thought, thought your birthday was the 26th. No, oh my, my God. birthday's on the 25th. <laughs> and then so I thought you were launching your book for me, but apparently not. It's fine. I forgive you. I forgive you. Uh, but I will okay. definitely be dropping in on that day. Uh, and I hope our listeners do as well. Sweet. Yeah, that'll be great. Okay. So this week's topic. <laughs> I mean, uh, this week's topic is a lot of topics, um, you know, but so before in our like two minutes before the show, which we always do, we, we talked about several things. And so we just thought, look, we're just going to have a conversation about all the things that are on our mind and just share that conversation with the listeners this week. And so um, what's really on my mind this week is a couple things. One, I haven't been sleeping very well in the last oh. week or so. Yeah, uh -huh. I really haven't been sleeping very well. I imagine this is something that a lot of people have been feeling given uh, the state of the world. Uh, but, you know, living in America, watching the presidential debate, watching the vice presidential debate, just everything that's happening with COVID, the second wave in Canada, uh, the president being diagnosed, 
the way that the elections are being discussed in the United States, I just, you know, my body, and I'm usually a very, very good sleeper. I'm, I'm This is not something that I typically uh, struggle with, but my body this week was like, well, fuck sleep. <laughs> you could take naps in the middle of the day, but at 3 a.m., your mind's going to be going on the state of the world. Uh, and that's pretty shitty. Yeah, I've definitely noticed um, a clear decline in the mental health of folks around me uh, on social media. I'm seeing a lot of friends that from like from home talking a lot more about how much they're struggling with uh, the news and with just the world in general. And and partly, I think like there's there like we're so focused on disinformation and fake news as it relates to the pandemic which i mean we're focused on that for a really important reason which is that it it's a menace but i think that we also need to be focused as well on how people often talk about the pandemic in a way that is just relentlessly alarming and mm-hmm. how that relentless alarming discussion is like is really difficult to to get through and really difficult to just be bombarded with it every single day because then it's like you're ready to like believe that this thing's never going to end right and and like regardless mm-hmm. of what happens in the next year we know the pandemic is going to end it's absolutely going to end it might not end on the other side of winter but every single day we get closer to this thing being over that is clear like for sure but i think that the way that the news has been constructed, it's like news has come out that the that the virus is mutating, right? Which is normal. Viruses mutate. Okay. And the symptoms are getting worse. Okay. But we also have better treatments. So treatments are getting better. Fewer people are dying. So that's good news. Okay. And then it's like, but the vaccines won't work. And then the scientists come out and say, no, 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 the vaccines still appear to be working on the newly transformed virus. And unless you're paying really close attention to stuff like I am, it's just like so overwhelmingly bad news. And I just I want to give one example and because I wrote about this on Twitter. It was quite popular. And I've seen a lot of people uh, cite this study. Sandy, have you seen this study uh, out of India that looked at the um, contact tracing of a hundred more than 150 people in two states in India? Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have seen it. Yes. So the, the research is really fascinating. And I heard an interview last night with the principal investigator, and I did not understand this because the way that this study has like reported the news was that it, it specifically focused on the fact that they have figured out that that young people and kids spread the virus more than, you know, perhaps popular knowledge was saying than previously thought. And so people were sharing this saying like, oh, my God, children are going to die when schools open. And so listening to this interview last night with the principal investigator, he said that this the kids in these two states weren't even in school when they did this study. The study just showed that in their incredible contact tracing, which they did, and they found many interesting things about how the, how the virus propagates, they said that, that children could be carriers. They, they didn't have anything to do with school. And it's just like stuff like that. Like I saw that. And are pretty effective carriers. It was the, was the point of that piece of the article, not that children are going to die. Like, yeah, I think, you know, the, the conclusions that, um, that people draw from the from the information that is being you know really carefully researched and put out is is really can be really dangerous and depressing. I mean, the, the things that I found very interesting about this, two there are two stats that I was just like, oh, that's good actually. 
One was that 71% of people with COVID in their study did not give it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I saw that. that. I thought that was fascinating. Totally. And the second thing that I thought was really, really interesting was that there was only a one in 10 chance of getting COVID if someone in your household got it. And then Mm -hmm. one in 40 chance of picking it up from someone in the community. So, you know, like I know there's so much to be worried about and we cannot downplay this this virus because there is a lot of organizing being done on the far right to make sure that we don't take it seriously and masks don't matter and all this kind of bullshit. But finding these kinds of like pieces of information that are really compelling and that do remind us that we're moving forward, I think are so important. And, and this is, I think also where you see politicians fail. I think we said this before on the podcast that it's like the, the, the approach that they're taking now could be March. Like they really haven't changed their approach. And so that kind of makes us all feel like we're just being battered back into like this groundhog day of depression and terribleness and um, and I really hope that that you are able to find the good things to hang on to to just get you through this, because as I said, you know, even sit at the top, we're going to have live shows again someday. Uh, we will. We will. Like, you know, pandemics don't last forever. That's what a pandemic is. And um, and I feel like it's just really, really hard right now. So I'm really sorry to hear not sleeping. That's really dérangeant, as we'd say in French. Yeah, it's it's pretty shit. And like, you know, everything that you've just said is really important. That's not to downplay the seriousness of what's happening. Certainly, like everyone is is going through some really um, difficult times. And I'm sure there are listeners who've been personally affected by people being sick and or succumbing to the to the virus. Um, But I, I do think it is it's always really important to feel as though we have some sort of control over a situation and to really understand uh, viscerally. Like, I want my body to understand um, that this uh, there are things that we can do in our own lives and societally um, to, to prevent this from being the worst ever thing. And I, I really do wish uh, that our governments... Um, treated this as uh, as as the preventable uh, situation that it is rather than uh, doing a whole lot of nothing and then getting in front of us and saying, oh, man, this is so terrible for all of these reasons when, gosh, y'all could have prevented all of that. So, yeah, sleep evades me. But it's not just because of COVID. I mean, geez, did you watch um, the any of the, the presidential debates that are happening in the United States? Oh, yes, I, I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> God, I mean, that shit will fuck you up. Like, what the shit? Like, America is literally falling apart. <laughs> America is 100% falling apart. And I'm just like, wow, I decided to go to law school in the United States at the worst possible time. <laughs> now now you're wondering uh, why they offered your sale uh, your your degree in like a 90% off sale. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Come I got to tell you. It's like it's the it's like there's that um I mean I did not get 90% off, but I got quite a bit off. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh but gosh uh, you know what's been hilarious is uh, fucking adding up all of the useless hours on Zoom. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, we I've I have a class that's um, uh, based mostly on 
uh, on guest speakers. It's a seminar. It's a seminar about organizing and lawyering together. And for about 50% of the classes, either the, the guest speaker hasn't shown up or has shown up like uh, 30 minutes late. Oh, my and God. And I'm just like, man, every one of these classes is worth $10,000. <laughs> this is... This is ridiculous. <laughs> you um, and, you should sue them uh, in a class action as part of your like final project. Uh, there, <laughs> that would be hilarious. There is someone doing some sort of class action lawsuit, but yeah, I mean, all this is to say, uh, you know, the what's happening in America is uh, really uh, predictable, remarkable, still even yeah. though predictable. Yeah. Um, and it is uh, going to have, I think, um, depending on how November goes, and I don't see a way that it's anything but bad, the American election uh, in November, it's, I think, going to have some implications for Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question for you. Um, if you were on stage and it was just you and Mike Pence, I love being on stage. Oh, God. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And Pence kept being on stage with Mike Pence. But if he kept on cutting you off, would you finally take that moment to tell him to shut the fuck up? Nora, (laughs) I know you know. I know you know that I would. I did love, I did love that Kamala Harris (laughs) My favorite line of hers from from watching the the vice presidential debate was that uh, Mike Pence said something like, uh, you're allowed to have your own opinions, but you're not allowed to have your own facts. (laughs) And she she turned and looked at him and was like, that was a great line. Great line. (laughs) It's like that was a fucking hilarious example of devaluing something that someone has said uh, in a way that it doesn't seem quite too rude. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I would have been so rude to him. I oh yeah. <laughs> I, and that's, that's why I should probably, uh, you know, never be a politician because I <laughs> can't play that game. I won't play that game. <laughs> but actually I feel like it's a, it would be useful to unpack it because, um, you know, obviously uh, there were a lot of people that came out after and said Kamala is walking a very thin line as a black woman, as a South Asian woman, uh, has to keep it all in, has to not look, you know, n- name all of the stereotypes that would be leveled at her the day after. But there's another side of this, too, which is that the, the, the Democrats have clearly decided that their strategy is going to be like as safe as possible. And as oh, yeah. boring as possible. I mean, every time that Biden like was like mm-hmm. he said something wild, I don't think that was strategy. I think that was like him reliving like 1972 or something. Like it's hard to know <laughs> how much of that debate was like strategy. But with with Harris, like she was um, it was God. very clear that it was it was like, you know, she, she like just, OK, like I'm, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, Mike or Mr. Whatever the fuck they call him. And it's just like the Democrats really, really, really need to understand that part of Trump's support and popularity comes from his incredible performance and showmanship of just not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing that the Democrats really could learn from. Oh, yeah, totally. Although I do think and I know that you know this, that as a woman on stage, as a black woman on stage, you don't know that part. But, you know, as a woman on stage, you do have to think about 
all of the ways that people are going to perceive your anger. So it's just like, or your frustration at being cut off. And so God, like the, the phases she was making that like, that like strained smile while saying I'm speaking when literally, you know, what she's thinking is shut the fuck up, little man. It is my motherfucking turn. (laughs) It's, It's, Incredibly relatable, but also just so frustrating to watch. It's so frustrating to watch, especially, you know, watching the debate is also being moderated by a woman. That was the worst. That was the the fucking worst. It's like he still still had far more time uh, than she did. And she just has to, to paint this smile on her face while she's saying, stop being a motherfucking man dick. Like, shut the fuck up. I'm speaking. People need to hear from me as well. Ugh, yeah. Hate it. Yeah, I like where I watched the Trump-Biden debate with my like anus in my stomach for how awkward it got in a lot of circumstances. I I really wanted to reach into the screen and find this Susan woman <laughs> and be like, can you stop thanking Mike Pence and just tell him to shut the fuck up? Because I actually think that it was she should have said that probably a hundred times. <laughs> oh, 100 percent. And I don't understand this resistance to having the moderator play that role of, you know, moderation. So oh, totally. <laughs> very strange. Yeah, but that was that was definitely um, adding to doom, a feeling of doom. That debate. I mean, who knows what's going to happen between now and the election? I still have money on Trump winning, but. I don't know, maybe having money on anybody winning in this election is ridiculous because he's got like a domestic army that's ready to fight regardless of what happens. That's the thing. That's the thing. I don't think that it matters yeah. <laughs> whether he wins or not, because even if he loses, as the polls are currently saying that he will, but you, got, you know, in 2016, the polls at this point were also saying that he would lose. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, even if he loses, um, there's a uh, a sizable part of the population who has been encouraged to refuse those results and who has been encouraged to take action um, on the refusal of those results. So, you know, if he wins, those same folks will be emboldened um, to take the types of uh, heinous actions we've been seeing in America, violent actions against certain uh, people in the population. If he loses, same thing will happen. Either mm-hmm. way, you know, I I know of people who have their entire workplaces who are planning, you know, in America for what happens if violence breaks out after the elections. People are are having like workplace trainings. Oh my god! This. So you know, it's it's a real. Yeah, it's a real it's a real consideration. People are are really very terrified, and this is happening um, across sectors that people um, uh, are are having these types of trainings in their workplace. What are we going to do if things go terribly bad? And so, I do think we have to, you know, think about. I mean, we, me and you, I don't know, but like, you know, the <laughs> just like the the population of people living above the 49th parallel have to think about a situation where people may be running to the border Mm -hmm. (laughs) that might happen that's like not outside of the realm of possibility and uh you know that's uh you know 
makes me nervous, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is really important uh, in Canada for us to talk about what all this means, because there really is a lack of discussion about all of this. I mean, the major Canadian networks are, are reporting on the election in the United States as if it's like our election. And they're not really examining what those kinds of spinoff results might be. Like there was a crisis created at the border in 2016 when not that many people mm-hmm. decided to come to Canada. And mm-hmm. and that was not that was that was a very specific group of people, too, or people who uh, had very precarious status and who may have had or a lot of them had their uh, claims rejected in, in the United States already or were worried that their claims may be rejected in the United States. So we're talking about a very small group of people. What happens when it's like fucking Americans with passports being like. Canada, you're not that much different than us. And um, we live right, like literally here. And we're just going to come to Canada. And I want to be very clear that people are talking about this quite seriously. Right, right. <laughs> like, it, You know, I feel like in 2016, it was a joke to a lot of Americans. But there are people who are, I, I know people who are uh, literally getting their passports right now um, uh, in order to, who, who have never had passports before in order to um, make a run for the border if they need to, mm-hmm. you know? So like, this is, it's like not a joke. And, uh, that is, that is a kind of terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And so from like a leftist perspective, it's like, okay, so, you know, we know that our uh, immigration policies are, are really broken. Uh, we have a very long history of Canadian identity being formed in part by mass immigration to Canada from the United States. Like many waves of people came to Canada because it was not the United States right up until the most recent like wave was the 1960s with the draft Dodgers. And the fact that this is not being talked about by any of our politicians, like what would they, what would they do? Like, would, would, would it be, um, yeah, you know what? Everybody's welcome. Or, oh, um, that'll be really difficult. We're going to have a program that, like, tries to settle people in different parts of Canada. So it's not like everybody goes to Windsor, for example. Like, there's just, this is just, like, not on any politician's radar publicly. I don't know what they're saying privately. I'm sure they're shitting their pants and putting as much money as they can into Biden winning. <laughs> uh, as, if, as if that's going to change um, mm-hmm. anything, as you say. But but we really on the left need to think about what would be our demands and, and, and how would we be able to support, a you know, a just system that offers asylum to people who are fleeing a government in the United States that wants them dead. And then, of course, the difficult part is what happens when the government wants a majority of your people dead. It's um, it's it's something that I think that we need to have serious conversations about. And if the left doesn't have these conversations, it's going to be the right, obviously, as they try to dominate immigration discussions and the conversations will be racist and they will be not held on the terms that um, that I think, you know, benefit justice and uh, uh, empathy and, and all of those things that um, that our immigration system doesn't but should be built on. Mm hmm. Like, you know, I think this is why I think it's so important for us to to be discussing this right now. You know, we may not have all of the answers or have this fully thought through or know what all the situations could be. But what we do know is that we're going to have to have really um, great people who are on the left who are uh, doing the thinking about this before the situation actually comes to fruition, if this is what ends up happening um, to make mm-hmm. the calls that need to be made, because quite frankly, Canada has a really shitty history uh, of border politics. And is that what we want to continue through a crisis in the United States? 
I mean, I certainly don't. Um, and you know, like I can imagine many of the people who are listening, uh, don't as well. And so uh, we have to think about what, what is, what do we want from our governments given, uh, the, the possibility of, uh, some sort of crisis in the United States, which quite frankly is already happening, um, or even worse, a civil war in the United Mm -hmm. States, which again, a lot of people are actually planning for. Yeah. So that's another thing that's on my mind. Yeah. And, and, and how, uh, you know, I made this point on, on, on Twitter today because um, this morning, and we, we record on Sundays, uh, Peter Chetapedai's program, the Sunday Magazine, had an interview with Ibrahim X. Kendi, and they were talking about fascists in the United States. Uh, and it was like, we absolutely need to, if we have these conversations in Canada, we, have, we cannot talk about fascism in the United States without fully anchoring that, so, that political tendency in reality, which is that the ideological, strategic backbone of, of American fascism is Canadian, comes from Canadians, is fueled by Canadians, is, is, uh, Canadians play a pivotal role, uh, uh, especially French-speaking Canadians who, who link United States with, with like countries like France, and then you've got that passes through a, a city like Montreal where people are multilingual. It, it is so critical to see that Canada plays a very important role in helping to make this kind of fascism palatable to like the quote unquote masses. And so what does that mean in Canada? Like, where does that come from? And how do Canadians confront that as a way of acting in solidarity with, with Americans who are also like fighting the result of this kind of thinking? Hmm. And speaking of things that happen in America, also happening in Canada. Gosh, did you see what happened on Wednesday in Ottawa? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. So this is another thing that's been on my mind. Uh, for those of you who don't know, in Ottawa, the Ottawa Police Service um, carried out a fucking raid um, in the home of uh, the Ost family. And so it was a no-knock warrant that they were um, granted by a judge and that they were um, carrying out. And so for those of you who don't know what that is, a no-knock warrant is a warrant that gives the police permission to enter someone's home without first announcing that they are doing so. So they don't have to knock and say, hello, Uh, This is the police. Please open up, whatever. And so what this resulted in, in this particular case, is the police um, kicking down a door that was unfucking locked setting off smoke grenades in the apartment and running through this apartment and uh, detaining um, a man who uh, was... Uh, who had health problems and, you know, taking him to the floor and he he was uh, complaining about problems with his chest and needing to take medicine. This was a home where there was a 12-year-old who was asleep. Um, This was a home where um, Anthony Ost, uh, after the police barged through this, his home, jumped from a window or fell, or we don't know exactly what happened, but the, the... the um, 
ultimately, the police barging in in the way that they did caused his death. He fell 12 stories at, to his death, a 23-year-old man, Anthony Ost. Um, his mother uh, uh, found out about this as she came home and saw him on the ground. Like, it's just... It's unconscionable. It's unforgivable. It's unbelievable that we would have um, some the ability in our society to carry out this type of warrant, which is essentially says that recovering evidence is more important uh, than the rights we are afforded under the charter or just, you know, like as regular ass human beings to not have to not be um, subject to unreasonable searches and seizures to, to, to the uh, presumption of innocence. Like, you know, very rarely would we have um, some sort of uh, idea of what this actually looks like, but there was a, there was a camera in the Ost home. And so there has been some video that's been circulating of what this looks like. And, you know, you see, a regular home um, uh, during the day, television turned on, and then the police banging through, setting off smoke bombs in the house. It's it's unfucking believable, and of course, this is the same sort of thing that uh, the that Brianna Taylor experienced before she was killed by police, and uh, people will often. Um, you know, gosh, I wish, you know, when when Canada uh, is is the Canadian media is is focused on these cases in the United States, they would um, make the linkages to what happens here, because it's, this has been an issue in Canada for some time. There have been calls to end no knock warrants in Canada since the 70s. OK, and maybe even beyond. That's just what I know of. Um, and so it would have been good to, to have that discussion in the um, about Breonna Taylor uh, with a Canadian lens on it saying, hey, this type of thing, these no knock warrants happen here, too. This is something we should discuss. But of course, we're always we're always in Canadian media um, kind of attuned to the ways that we're better than the United States. And so that obfuscates um, the, the reality that these same sort of situations happen in Canada. And, and even now, you know, this should be front page news everywhere but it's not it's not and uh i just you know i'm i'm really you know my heart goes out to the ost family and i'm just really heartbroken over this uh you know the way that uh black communities continue to be targeted and then ignored uh when we're subjected to this type of injustice yeah, there's a lot of similarities in terms of uh, it being caught on camera and actually allowing us to see what's happened with the death of Joyce Eshaquan, which we talked about last week. Uh, and the fact mm -hmm. that we had video evidence, undeniable abuse happening in the hospital while Joyce was complaining of, of a probable medical uh, overdose and while she was dying... We are able to see that this happens, which means that how many times does it happen when it's not filmed? You know, 10 times, 100 times, like it, many, 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 many more times. And so this video from the Ost household, I mean, 
It is really shocking. Uh, and you, you, you said they were, there's smoke bombs. There, I believe there's also like stun bombs as well. So like little firecrackers in the air as well as the smoke going off. And you just look at this and you're like, okay, so you guys actually think that you're soldiers. You actually think you're raiding houses and em- enemy territory in a place where the law doesn't apply because some fucking piece of shit judge who, I mean, let's talk about judges also granting these no, no knock warrants said that whatever you were searching for was absolutely critical. Couldn't knock on the door. It's just, it's so unbelievable. And, you know, I, I saw in the news that Anthony was also like, he was wearing a GPS bracelet. And so like the police knew where he was like, they knew he was there. Mm-hmm. So there's literally no reason to barge mm-hmm. in and be like element of surprise or anything. You know where he is. So why would you pull a tactic like that? Like there's no there's literally no justification for it. And of course, like it's not worth looking for justifications because cops don't operate in that kind of mentality. They they do what they can get away with. And we as a society have allowed police to have this incredible power and it attracts the absolute fucking scum of the fucking earth into these positions of power so that they could just go around and legally cause harm. And I'm not sure fucking feel good about it or something, but, but you're right. Like the fact that this isn't front page national news is unacceptable is so unacceptable. And it's so damning on the on the Canadian media landscape again of what's important to them and what isn't important to them like we don't know how they entered Mm -hmm. the apartment of Regis Korchinski Paquette we don't know how they entered the apartment of of Chantel Mm -hmm. Moore right we we don't know Mm -hmm. like we have the police word what we hear is that person was armed there may have been a weapon last week Winnipeg police shot someone else and killed them Last week, someone died Mm -hmm. at the hands of private security at Trinity Western University, and that has not at all made it into the mainstream press. And so I think like, you know, this pandemic has really given us this time to think and this time to reflect. And, you know, there was a survey that said something like, um, regardless of age, like a majority of Canadians don't feel safe with police or something like this or don't trust the police and it's like Mm -hmm. is this new or is this just because like they're finally asking people people what they think of police is this new because we have this moment in the pandemic where there's not much for police to do and we can actually see that uh or are we finally talking about something that a, a silent majority has always kind of talked about you know i was in the supermarket tonight and the guy working the, the, the checkout talked to a guy who walked by and the guy who walked by, I know, is like the manager of the store. And the guy at the checkout said something like, yeah, so like they're obviously continuing a conversation from earlier. And they're like, yeah, so so police now are just able to come at lunch and they're giving uh, all the kids fines who aren't wearing masks. What? Right. This is the new power that police were given last week in Quebec, which is that they're supposed to be on school property reminding kids to wear masks. But then this kid's like, oh, no, they're they're fining us. It's like fuck the fuck the fucking police oh my god fuck the police yeah yeah. and stop pawning off like really important societal responsibilities to the fucking police (laughs) like there are ways that you can prevent uh transmission government without giving like responsibility to the police to criminalize young people (laughs) there are other solutions and god you know when we are talking about 
things like defunding the police. Literally, we're saying things like, why the fuck do you have uh, stun bombs and fucking smoke bombs to go into people's homes? Why the fuck do you have that? You shouldn't have that. Why is there a SWAT team going into this family's home? And the result is that the, 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 the procurement of maybe evidence, the evidence that might be in that home, is more important than the lives of the people who live there. It's fucking unacceptable. But guess what, Nora? I heard that the RCMP is taking action. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you know this is bullshit. I mean, fuck. Like, I, they, they released on Friday... Um, I, as you know, obvi- it's a Friday release. They didn't in the evening. So it's like, <laughs> you know, they're obviously trying to bury, bury it, yeah. uh, but they're like no longer. All right. Get ready for this listeners. No longer will RCMP members be permitted members. What the fuck? They're not a fucking membership organization. No longer <laughs> will RCMP officers be permitted to wear thin blue line patches. This is going to help to solve the problem because uh, the thin blue line patches create an us versus them mentality. Uh Uh-huh. Like no shit. (laughs) That, that, that's, that's what creates the mentality, the patch. And once the patch is gone, (laughs) the mentality will be gone. Like, yeah, I just, I am beside myself with anger at the lack of action that has been taken from anyone given all of the uprising that has been happening. But, you know, it just, it goes to show why uh, people need to say things like Black Lives Matter and uh, fucking I don't know more and so on. It's just like, that's the reason because people don't actually, you know, the people in power don't actually give a fuck. Like as though the patches are uh, not a symptom of a, a much bigger problem that is uh, uh, like not solvable by like shifting like little things that the police do. They have a deep cultural, um, a, a deep cultural fucking, ugh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. They have a deep Culture, culture, that's what I'm trying to say, of of being oppositional to certain parts of the of the public because that is their raison d'etre. That is the reason for their fucking existence. <laughs> like there is yeah. there's no amount of eliminating thin blue lines or um, you know, the the bracelets that the Ottawa Police Service um, uh, members were wearing after um, uh, one of the officers beat Abdirahman Abdi to death, beat him to death, and they were wearing bracelets to support one another, uh, or these Blue Lives Matter flags and patches uh, that these police officers across North America have been wearing. None of banning any of that is going to change the fact that the culture is part of why they exist in the fucking first place. So thanks for your nothing action, but um, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. But like the big question, the big question I have with these patches is like, who sewed them all on? Like not the cops. I mean, maybe (laughs) Nora, maybe they're not. (laughs) 
their their wives the 40 percent of them get abused. anyway um i i feel like we have to mention the last piece of news that's so relevant and i'm not sure you heard this maybe you did hear it but did you did you hear who the premier of quebec just appointed to be the minister of aboriginal affairs mm, no i have not well um considering the uh tenor of this conversation what do you think his former job was oh no was it a cop yeah yeah no shut the fuck up seriously yeah, they just appointed Ian Lafreniere from the SPVM, the Montreal Police. No. Notorious, notoriously Ugh. shitty police force in Canada. Maybe even worse than Peel, actually. Maybe even worse than the RCMP West. Hard to say. But um, yeah, yeah. After the whole week that we've had, the last two weeks, three weeks that Quebec has had with the prime with a premier that refuses to acknowledge uh, systemic racism, he goes ahead and appoints Lafreniere to that position. So, wow, that's saying a lot about um, the type of engagement they want to have with indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it could it could not be more clear. Well, that fucking blows, Nora. How are we going to end this episode? We we can't end on on this note. <laughs> Sorry, I you want me to be opt- I could I could be optimistic. Do you want me to be optimistic? Yeah, you have to like are you sleeping? Because <laughs> <laughs> then yes, you you win the you must be optimistic uh fucking responsibility prize out here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we decide this every week, everybody. Um yeah. <laughs> I think that there's a lot to be optimistic about because like we are seeing these things more. Uh, because of the incredible efforts that families are going through or that individuals are going to to make sure that these things are, are, are being aired. And I think that, you know, social change is slow and it will take time. But people being engaged in a moment that where everything feels hopeless. I mean, none of us have plans beyond probably at all. Probably no one has any fucking plans beyond I got to go to work. I'm going to go to work my next day of work. And we do have the ability like keeping this pressure up, we will change things. It just will take a long time, but it does require a, a, a fucking slog of sustained pressure. And especially, especially if you are a liberal or if you have friends who are liberals, I think that you should put your energy into liberals because the number of shitty fucking liberals who've responded to me in the last week about, um, about defunding the police saying it's impossible, uh, is demonstrating to me that we have a lot of work to do with that group of people in society. And I think as you're starting to practice your arguments with strangers or people, you know, or people you work with, that is how social change happens is being able to, to, to fine tune your message to make sure that you're convincing the people that you, whose lives you are in or whose lives you touch that, that this is critical so that when it's announced that a city is considering increases to police budgets, it starts to shift that conversation to be like, no, 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 we're not accepting this. And slowly we will be able to, to, to find ways to, to, uh, to divest some of the power, more of the power, more of the power, all of the power that police have in this country.